Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, October 3rd, and there's a lot going on that we need to discuss and decipher. Today, it's the Speaker of the House in Washington, D.C., Artificial Intelligence, Beta Technologies. That's right, Artificial Intelligence. I've avoided this topic as a way, as way over my pay grade for months, but it's now unavoidable. Everyone's talking about it. Technology companies have embraced it. In fact, AI is already a major part of our lives in ways we don't even know. So we'll have someone who might just be the smartest tech person in Vermont to explain it all to us. And we're leaving the 10 a.m. hour open as much as I can for your calls and emails about what just happened in Congress with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I've, I could have a, a long list of guests on to discuss it. Uh, we may have a couple of call-ins. But I wanted to leave it, I wanted to leave the, that sort of slot open so that we could open the phones, take calls, and talk about the state of Congress, uh, the state of the federal government, and what just happened for, I think it's the first time in history, but I haven't done the deep reading. I think it's happened twice in history before, but, uh, th- this one seems to be different. Uh, this, this was at the hands of his own party, I think it's the key distinction. But, uh, so we're gonna leave the 10 a.m. hour open. We will take your calls at 244-1777, your emails at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. And at 10.30, 10.40, we're gonna check in with our old friend Sarah DeFelice at Bailey Road, the clothing and home goods store in Montpelier, who reopened this weekend with a big part, this past weekend, with a big party. So that block in Montpelier is completely open post flood and Sarah knows how to have a, have a party and there's lots of great pictures online and so, uh, so we'll get to that. But first, uh, let's take a break. Let's take our first break and then we're going to come back, uh, with, uh, with our discussion of artificial intelligence, LLM and everything else that is coming our way fast and furious down the pike. Uh, we'll be right back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis on WDEV. We're back. And as I promised at the outset, it's time to take on artificial intelligence. It is here. It's having an impact on our lives, especially our work, and we need to explore it and understand it. Who better to help us out than the guy from Stowe who sent me his bio last night using chat GPT, uh, and not to mention his bio, in addition to his bio, he asked ChatGPT to send me uh, his bio in rhyme, which it did. Maybe we'll get a chance to read it on the air. Uh, this, this young man has been the chief recovery officer for the state of Vermont, chief technology officer. Uh, he has worked at high, at the highest levels at AT&T, Microsoft and elsewhere. He's an inventor, a novelist, and he's got a lot of views on AI. His name is Tom Evslin, and he joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Well, you're kind to join us. Uh, 
you might be better uh, placed to, to tell us where we should start, but why don't we start at the beginning? And because sure. you, you have a, a, a great newsletter called Fractals of Change, which I follow and I recommend to everyone that has been talking a lot about AI. But why don't we, uh, before we get to the, is it bad? Is it good? And, and, you know, what, what we try to do is get beneath the headlines here. So let's start with what is it? What's artificial intelligence, Tom? Okay. Artificial intelligence roughly means using computers to solve the kinds of problems that we thought um, or that previously only humans could solve. We're used to computers solving very straightforward problems, adding up a whole bunch of numbers, um, sending out a whole bunch of bills, very straightforward sort of linear thinking stuff. Um, artificial intelligence uh means using a computer in a way where the answers are not so straightforward, in a way where we thought before it took human intelligence. Um, now we see that artificial intelligence can solve those problems. But as you said in your introduction, um, although artificial intelligence has been talked a lot about lately, um, the roots go back a long way. Um, and most of us are familiar with the antecedents of artificial intelligence. Um, for example, we've been using spell checkers for a long time. Right. And then maybe it was 10 or 12 years ago when spell checkers not only told you that a word was wrong because it didn't appear on the list of words the spell checker knew about, but started to make suggestions about what the right word is, which is a little more complicated because the wrong word is sort of all mixed up. And so you can't just look it up and say, oh, that must be something else. Um, and then as that advanced, um, our cell phones took advantage of some of that technology. And as we're painfully tapping something out, started to guess ahead a word or two of what we might be meaning to say. Right. Um, we, we didn't think then um, that the spell checkers or the grammar checkers um, or the typing aids um, were thinking for us, but what they were doing was predicting what we were about to do, predicting what the next word is going to be. Now, if you use Microsoft Word, you see it may predict two or three words ahead. Um, and it's interesting, when we look at those predictions, we don't say whether they're true or false. They're plausible. If they're what we want, we accept them. If they're not what we want, we don't accept them. Uh, but we don't think of them as being true, true or false. So let's just hold that thought for a second. At the same time, there was a lot of work going on in pattern recognition and imaging. Um, and again, for at least a decade, um, we've been using computers um, to scan x-rays, to look for anomalies, to look for cancers. And, and again, that's a sort of fuzzy logic because you can't say to a computer, this is what a cancer looks like, and the next cancer is going to look the same pixel by pixel. It's going to be different, but it's going to share certain patterns. So people were getting better and better at programming computers to recognize patterns. The third trend that was good, so there's this pattern recognition going on. There's word prediction, sort of fuzzy logic to, of what word was really meant. Um, and then we had the development, which has been going on for a long time, with more and more powerful computers. Ironically, in this case, accelerated by cryptocurrency, um, that a whole class of computers were built and paid for 
uh, by people who wanted to mine cryptocurrency. They were looking for very, very powerful computers. A company named NVIDIA um, became dominant in that field and made some very powerful computers. Um, they're called GPUs instead of CPUs, um, but they have great power. And then in the last couple of years, all those trends have come together. Um, the ability to recognize and predict language, the ability to recognize patterns, um, and the powerful chips so that all of that can be done at least at conversational speed. Uh, and then all those things were put together in ChatGPT um, is the most popular instance of it. I think it's caught everybody's imagination because it seems to be able to speak. It seems to be able to understand questions we ask it in human languages, um, and it can be amusing. Um, and it can also do what's politely called hallucinating. It can make stuff up. And um, important to remember that just like your spelling checker or your word predictor, there's, there's no real concept in AI of true or false. There's only plausible. So when ChatGPT or another large language model, and I'll, I'll define that in a minute, gives you an answer, it's giving you what it thinks is the most likely or plausible answer. It doesn't really have a concept of true or false um, any more than the word predictor does in word. And, and that's led to some confusion um, if you think of it um, in, in too much anthropomorphic terms, if you think of it as being a human being who's either lying or telling the truth. It's not. Um, so what a large language model is, um, is a computer program that has all of these components, word recognition, pattern recognition, um, and has been trained, that is, has been exposed to huge amounts of content. And happily, there's huge amounts of content easily available on the Internet. So the content it's been changed on um, is the content on the Internet. If you notice the biography it wrote of me looks suspiciously like what Wikipedia says about me, um, that's because part of what ChatGPT was trained on was Wikipedia. Um, it doesn't even know how it knows what it knows. The result of its training um, is that a whole bunch of numbers called weights are generated, um, which help it given one word to decide what the most likely next word is. And that, I'm oversimplifying it, but what a large language model like ChatGPT does um, is start with the words and guess what the next word is and guess what the next word is. It, that's called the neural network. It's a little bit the way our brains work. Um, when I'm talking to you, I don't know what my whole sentence is going to be. I start the sentence and the rest of the words, if I'm lucky, fall into place. Um, the large language models work something like that. Given a word, they know what's the most likely next word. Given a phrase, they know what's the most likely next phrase. Um, and they come out with plausible but not necessarily accurate um, answers to the questions that we ask. And so, Tom, let me pause there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's a great introduction, and I want to uh, reemphasize to the audience one of the reasons it's so great to have you on is because you you're a technologist uh, on the one hand, but also you've served in government, and so you're you can uh, sort of help us make judgments about 
what's good about this and what may be uh, dangerous about this and what the role of government is. But before we get to that, can you give us an example of of how AI and ChatGPT are in our world right now? Sure. Um, although we don't see it, um, AI is being used very, very successfully in drug research. Um, we probably would not have had uh, the mRNA vaccines for COVID as quickly as we did um, if we didn't have artificial intelligence being used to sort out the data um, about how various chemicals and various molecules work in the body. Um, you know, you, you can argue that we proceeded too quickly or too slowly on those vaccines, but we didn't even have the ability to move that quickly um, without the help that artificial intelligence gave us. In this case, not large language models, but pattern recognition and, and the ability to discern patterns. Um, we, I, uh, it's my prediction, at least, that in the next couple of years, we're going to see some pretty extraordinary things in medicine um, and artificial intelligence and perhaps large language models themselves are going to have an enormous amount to do with that. Part of the reason they can be so effective um, they don't reason like human beings are. In fact, they don't really reason at all. As I said, they just pick out what's plausible. But they can deal with a much larger amount of information at one time than a human can. So patterns in epidemiology that it might take decades for human researchers to see or we might never notice um, are much more noticeable to artificial intelligence models um, because they, they have sort of this wide vision, because they can process terabytes worth of information almost at, at the same time, and because they have this evolved ability um, to decipher meaning from human language, um, it means that all the papers that are published, um, most of which are published online, are, are all accessible. They're not, some of them contradict each other, but there's this huge mass of data that can be processed at one time. So I think the first things that we'll see that are, have seen and, and are seeing that are very helpful um, are in the medical field. But quickly, I think, and, and this is some of what I wrote about in my Digger article, I hope that we're going to see the advantages of artificial intelligence in education. And now, um, we've always used tools to handle knowledge. When I first took physics, we had to learn to use a slide book. Then there were some people who actually didn't want to allow calculators in classrooms because they were afraid that if people use calculators, they wouldn't learn to use slide rules. They sort of lost track of the fact that the slide rule was only a tool to do physics. It wasn't an end in itself. Um, and much of what we're taught appropriately in education is how to use the tools to think um, to generate knowledge, to communicate with other people. Um, AI is a, very, is a very, very powerful tool for seeking out knowledge. It's not infallible uh, any more than Googling is infallible, any more than everything you read in a book or a magazine previously was infallible, um, but it's a source of information. And it, it, it can because it can comb this huge database of online information uh, because it, because it's trained on this huge database of online information. 
Um, it can help us answer questions much more quickly than we would be able to any other way. Even when it gives us an answer, though, it's important that we learn to be skeptical. We, we have to think of it, um, I, I try not to think of it in human terms, but if we do, we should think of it as an assistant. Um, you know, if you have an assistant, an assistant may save you work. On the other hand, an assistant may do shoddy work or may do incomplete work. Um, you have to check the work that your assistants do. There was a very embarrassing story about a lawyer who used ChatGPT to uh, write a legal brief that was full of precedents, only the precedents turned out to be hallucinations. But even if that lawyer had been using a human law clerk, um, the lawyer should have checked back, um, should have at least spot checked to make sure it was getting accurate work. But uh, I think that we, we have a cohort who haven't had very good education. If you talk to high school teachers, to tell you that kids didn't learn to read and write very well in grammar school. If you talk to college teachers, they say that the first year of college is basically doing what high school should have done. What that means is a lot of those students aren't masters of reading and writing and gathering information the way they should be. They can catch up quickly, though, if they're taught to use large language models um, as their entree to artificial intelligence, use the lang large language models to make up for the skills they wouldn't weren't taught to do their research, to help them write better papers. You know, and those who say, "Well, but that's cheating." Well, uh, you know, well-to-do people get coaches to help them write their college applications. Um, to me, it's a healthy leveler um, that ChatGPT is available free if you know how to use it. Um, to help write papers the way an expensive coach would be able to. But again, I've given too long an answer to your short question. Well, uh, we're, we're in, in the next uh, minute and a half before our first break. Um, yeah, my daughter, who works on Capitol Hill in the communications biz, uh, I asked her if she's going to start writing press releases uh, with, using ChatBT, and she said, no, that's cheating. Yeah, I, I don't see why that makes sense. It's not cheating to use a typewriter. It's not cheating to use a spell checker. If the result is a better press release, then why in the world is that wrong? If right. the result is a poor press release, then it's wrong. It was the wrong tool or it wasn't used right. Exactly. Uh, okay, let's let's pause now. You just gave us – this is so great. You just gave us a, a, a positive of AI, and I, I have on my screen in front of me the your uh, Fractals of Change newsletter uh, post about the upsides and the downsides of AI. Let's let's stay with that. I'm looking at a at a blog post that you did in uh, May 15th, 2023, talking about the upsides and the downsides. So let's do that in this segment. Let's do the upsides of AI and the downsides. What's the upside? Okay, again, the upside is. Um it's an enormous aid in research. Um, much of that research is very positive, like medical research, for example, um, but also research in finding less polluting, cheaper sources of energy, um, pure research, understanding uh, the universe and the, and the galaxy better, and the kind of research the student does um, in learning, the kind of research that a business person does um, in trying to decide um, what products to build or how to build their products or how better to build their products. 
Um, it's a better version of Google. Um, you know, for the last few years is the only time I've ever been able to repair things in my life uh, because I can watch a YouTube and learn how to repair something. Um, yeah. Lately, I've been asking ChatGPT how to do this task or that task, um, and I generally get pretty good answers, better answers uh, than I was able to get before. So um, from the very important to the very mundane but important, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a research tool. It's a, it gives us all access uh, to knowledge, which it would have been very hard for us to find otherwise, uh, can make us all more capable uh, by giving us access to information that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to find, and perhaps even information that wouldn't exist as information um, without the ability to synthesize across enormous areas of research. Um, right. in, in a sense, a supercharged Google um, and, and a progression. Um, oh, you, from what we got with Google, you stole my you, you you stole my my words. I was going to ask you. It, it seems like it's it's more than this, but but for lay in layman's terms, it's a supercharged Google and YouTube all in one. That's right. Yeah, um, and probably even more than that if you roll it up. But you're you're absolutely right, and it also has the ability to generate video. Um, and to decipher video. So it's not just, it, it can learn from video uh, as well and from graphics as well as learning from text. But it's a progression um, from what we had with Google, from what we had with YouTube. It's not a discontinuity. Um, it's just that the tools have gotten better and better and the computing power to deliver those tools has gotten cheaper and cheaper and more and more available. Okay. And and now the downside, uh, we don't have to go right to nuclear Armageddon. You're, you're, uh, with the Russians, you, you, you write about it really well. Uh, but why don't you take us through the downsides? It's certainly like any disruptive technology. It's going to change the way we work. And you write in another blog post that we all better learn carpentry, especially people in white collar jobs like me. So let's separate out two possible, two threads uh, of, of possible negativity. One, this is a tool like any other tool that can be used. The tool has no morals of its own. Right. Uh, people say that they've trained their chat GPT models. That, you know, it puts sort of a veneer of political correctness on some of them, uh, but that, that's an illusion. There are, um, I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, so, but so the tool itself is is essentially uh, amoral, not immoral, um, and it can be used for good or bad purposes. Uh, an easy bad purpose, um, you know, well, all of us get a lot of spam, uh, a lot of email whose intent is to get us to somehow reveal a password. A lot of times we can spot the spam because um, it was written by somebody uh, – None in the speaking, the language is poor. Um, but AI can write very good spam um, very quickly. Um, it can use whatever personal information is known about you to make um, an email sound a lot like it's coming from somebody you're personally acquainted with. Um, and so email could be used. Uh, is, I'm sorry, AI is being used to spam us um, 
more effectively than we could be spammed otherwise. Um, uh, there's a, a um, always a war going on between hackers and cyber defenders. Um, both the hackers and cyber defenders now have AI in their arsenal. You can much more effectively find the weaknesses in a defense um, if you use AI to analyze that defense. On the other hand, you can more easily spot an attack um, if you use AI to look for the attacks. So sometimes the bad guys win, sometimes the good guys win. The tool doesn't care which side it's on, um, but the, you know, like nitroglycerin um, or, or atomic energy, the, the tool makes both sides more powerful, um, and, and so we can look at those clashes going on. Uh, it's interesting that ChatGPT is particularly trained uh, to appear to do no evil. Uh, and I, some of your readers may remember the three laws of robotics that Isaac Asimov uh, imagined when AI was all imagination, too, starting with a, a robot may do no harm to humans. Um, and so we wanted to test that in ChatGPT, and we said, what my, my grandson and I asked it, um, what foods could provoke an allergic reaction to somebody who has a peanut allergy? And it very quickly gave me a list of foods, and, and that could be a very helpful thing. And then I pointed out to ChatGPT um, that it wasn't obeying its own rules because I could use the list to figure out how to cause an allergic reaction in somebody. Uh, and it sort of fumbled around it and, and couldn't answer that. But, but it's just an illustration that no matter how good the intent, the tool, the tool is going to be used the way that people use it. And bad people will use it to do bad things. Good people will use it to do good things. Um, and some people accidentally use it in ways that they didn't intend. Then the other criticism is, as has been of every technology, um, that it'll destroy jobs. And, and the truth is, like most technologies, it'll destroy some jobs and create some other jobs. And, and we did, you know, there, when VisiCalc and then um, Excel, Lotus 1, 2, 3 were invented, the number of people just adding up numbers on adding machines went way down because you didn't need them anymore. Um, but people analyzing numbers and people in the accounting profession went up. And whenever your work is leveraged, whenever you can do more work with less human input, then you become more valuable um, and things become possible that weren't possible before because they require less human effort. So I, I think what will happen with AI is, yeah, you know, if it can write better press releases than 90% of the people who are writing press releases, um, then it'll replace at least press writing, press release writing assistance. Uh, if the answer is, if the output is better press releases, that's presumably better information. Um, but also the people who were sort of doing the grunt work of press releases or who were doing it but weren't terribly effective are freed up to do something else, but they have to learn to do that something else. Right. Right. So, Tom, we, we, we have now done the pluses and the minuses of AI. Uh, let, let, I want to stay with the negative once one more minute because sure. I'm, tr I'm trying to think of 
the deep fake slash uh, fake telephone call or email that comes into the nuclear communications center at the White House uh, telling us, in, as Dr. Strangelove did, that uh, the missiles are on their way and that we should launch our entire arsenal. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think of the worst possible scenario. Do you think about that kind of thing? I do. Um, in that particular scenario, I'm not sure. But let's assume that AI somehow can create a more plausible uh, fraudulent warning, um, perhaps by some, not so much calling the White House, but fooling our uh the radars and, and satellites that we use for observation. Right. Uh, that, you know, that, that's certainly a danger and the only counterbalance. And so we absolutely have to be aware of that danger. When you're asking me, uh, you, or you're working towards what's the role of government in this, certainly part of the role of government is to be aware of what new threats or what threats can be amplified with artificial intelligence um, and to build its own defenses against those threats. Remember, it's years now um, where our government institutions have been under hacker attack um, and have worked to make themselves more hacker-proof. And, and it's probably about a draw. Uh, the defenses have gotten better. The hackers have gotten better. The hackers get through sometime. Um, that war intensifies. And, and Government um, and, and intensifies not only because of AI, but just because computers in general are more powerful and more people know how to use them and communication is cheaper and more available and more people know how to use it. So uh, one, probably the primary role of government um, is to defend itself and more broadly um, to help disseminate defenses, uh, to do policing. Um, if AI or any other tools used to commit a crime, government needs to be able both to detect the crime um, and and have the ability to prove the case against those who committed to find who committed the crime, prove the case against those who committed the crime, uh, and to take action to to stop the crimes from happening. And, and that's non-trivial. With AI added to the arsenal of the bad guys. Uh, then we have to add to the arsenal of the good guys. We have to add to the arsenal uh, of the armed services. We have to add to the arsenal of the police. Um, and we, we can use AI to do those things, but there's no question um, that the arms race accelerates with with AI as well as other technologies. Ah, okay. Uh, Tom, so do we have the tools at the federal and state levels uh, to deal with AI right now, or does Congress, in all of its dysfunction right now, um, and and of course those are the people who, when Mark Zuckerberg came before them, demonstrated a complete lack of understanding of how the internet works and how any of this works. Yeah. Uh, do we need new laws, or is it just a law enforcement function? Uh, the Federal Trade Commission. I mean, do we have the tools in place now? to make sure AI works for our benefit, not to diminish us, or do we need new laws, do you think? Um, I, I think it's both. Um, we have laws against fraud, for example. Right. And so if AI is used to, um, to fraud, 
to defraud somebody, uh, then we already have laws to prosecute uh, the fraudster under. Um, and if AI is used to defame somebody, um, then we do have laws uh, against defamation, and freedom of speech sometimes makes those cases hard to prosecute. But but we do have a set of laws, I think, that's effective. Um, we don't have – we need uh, – government, as I was saying, needs to develop tools. That's not necessarily laws. Right. Um, what's, what frightens me is I think that Congress is being led in its ignorance in exactly – well, it's not moving at all right now, but – it shows signs of being led in the wrong direction. Um, the AIG is not going back in the bottle. Um, it may have cost billions of dollars, did cost billions of dollars to train chat GPT, but once you have uh, LL large language models like chat GPT available, you can train other large language models much more cheaply. Um, the price of computing power keeps coming down. The techniques for building AI applications keep increasing. There's an enormous number of programmers, both professional and amateurs like me, playing with AI. Um, government literally can't ban it. And, and I think when the hypocritical, uh, when people like Elon Musk say, oh, we need to have a pause, I think what Elon means is we need to slow down uh the possibility that he's behind in AI, and he'd like a pause until he catches up. Right. Uh, but he hasn't said he wants a pause in the development of self-driving cars, uh, which are a form of AI, not a large language model, but they're a form of AI. Sure. Uh, so I think Congress is being distracted by the possibility of banning something that it can't possibly ban, um, just physically can't possibly ban, um, in the interest of creating regulations which are advantageous to large companies that have a lead in AI today who are going to be threatened by billions of or millions of innovators who are themselves AI-empowered. Um, and, and I think not only would it be wrong for Congress to try to stop that, um, it would also be futile. Uh, would put us at a disadvantage uh, around the world where, where AI research is certainly going on. And it's a distraction from what we really have to do, which is making sure that we take into account AI um, in, in our ability to find crime, to prosecute crime, uh, and, and protect crime. But, I, I, you know, Congress is, is – the lack of understanding is, is, as you said, incredible. Uh, yeah, and, and I uh, – count me as suspicious of Zuckerberg – Sam Altman at ChatGPT and, and other companies going to Congress and saying, please regulate me. Uh, I just, that's a trust but verify, uh, uh, uh mode right. for me. Uh, I've read a deep article about Sam Altman the other day and it's, you know, it's, I mean, I don't know that we know how to regulate this industry. No, and, and, and I don't think we have the tools. I don't think we even know what we're talking about when right. we say regulate it. I think he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Put up some regulatory obstacles to somebody catching up with them. Right. Uh, but I'd hate to see Congress fall for that. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, what are we missing here, Tom? What are, what are the – in one of your blog posts, you, you have a section called the net-net uh, – it seems to me that we're going to have huge disruption 
Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be bad. And like anything, we're going to have to deal with it. Yeah. All right. I think you've summed it up exactly right. But I think that the, the best way to deal with it is from the optimistic point of view. Um, yes, some, but some people have to think about how to be defensive. Uh, but um, the, 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 the benefits are going to come from those who think of how we can use this for good, how we can disrupt the things that ought to be disrupted. Uh, we have enormous educational inequality in the country, which leads to all other kinds of inequality. You know, I think that we can use AI to close some of that gap, and that's enormous. I think we've gone too far. Uh, I, uh, I, I think the pendulum swung too far towards favoring the college educated and white collar jobs more than they were providing that we, I should say, because I'm college educated, were providing value to society as a whole. And interestingly, when we all stayed home because the white collar workers could stay home, it turned out it didn't make a whole lot of difference. And we all some found out having nothing to do with AI and everything to do with the pandemic, who the real essential workers were. And I think that, that AI can be used um, to help nurses, to help carpenters, to help plumbers um, to be more effective, which means able to earn more money, which is just great, um, and can uh, eliminate some white-collar jobs which aren't adding much productively to the society and, and free up those people uh, to do things, to be more productive, uh, and, and but perhaps not make as much money relative to a nurse or a carpenter as they used to make before. But okay. Tom. it could be used to raise all ships. Tom Evslin, uh, what a great seminar. Uh, we want to have you back as we continue to focus on this. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kevin. It's a bit fun. Tom Evslin, uh, he's your AI guy, and he's our AI guy. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint. We're going to come back after this and talk about Kevin McCarthy for half an hour.